Good morning. You would, I'm going to ask you to find two uh, passages. Um, you will turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking just briefly at verse 20. And then if you will also find Daniel chapter 7. We'll look at Daniel 7 a little bit later on in the message. We will start in Matthew chapter 8. While this is not going to be a textual message today on verse 20, let's go ahead and uh, go back up to verse 18 and just get the full passage. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. Word of God says, Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus as the Son of Man. Um, I was talking to Patrick before the message, or excuse me, before the service started, and uh, I am a firm believer in expository preaching, meaning that for the uh, the Sunday morning preaching ministry, I believe that the best method is verse-by-verse exposition through one book of, of the Bible, um, or of course when there's a, a guest preacher um, who doesn't uh, have the time to go verse-by-verse through an entire book, uh, that you pick a text or a passage and you let that be the message, that uh, we're here to find out what that passage says. Uh, but I confess today is going to be more of a topical message because I want to focus exclusively on the title that our Lord Jesus uses for himself in Matthew 8.20, and that is the Son of Man. So that'll be the topic of this morning's message, the Son of Man. Um, the Apostle Peter's last recorded words in Scripture, which would be 2 Peter 3.18, he said, Peter's last words in Scripture, it says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you and I are commanded to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, ultimately, anything we study in Scripture is going to be knowledge of Him because this book is a testimony to Him. The written Word of God is a testimony, ultimately, to the incarnate Word of God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but one of the ways that, uh, one of the many ways that we can learn more about Jesus is by studying his names and his titles. Uh, for example, the name Jesus. Um, in the Hebrew, it means Jehovah saves or the Lord saves. Uh, you'll remember in Matthew chapter 1 where the angel comes to Joseph to explain his betrothed's pregnancy, and he explains that she's uh, with child by the Holy Spirit and says, when he's born, you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jehovah saves. Um, also in Matthew chapter 1, we find the name Emmanuel, which harkens back to Isaiah. And Matthew tells us that Emmanuel means God with us. So, so through studying Jesus' name, Emmanuel, we, we, we have a picture of the incarnation that God dwells with us. And we could go on and on. In John chapter 1, he's the Word of God. Um, in John also, Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd because he, he tends and protects and feeds his people and ultimately lays down his life for the sheep. 
So hopefully those examples show you that there's a lot to learn simply by studying his name well, uh, or his titles, names or titles. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ has three titles that include son of. Um, sometimes he's just referred to as the, the son, and the context would supply um, the rest of it. But uh, he is called, for example, the son of David. Jesus is a physical descendant of King David, and he is the rightful heir to the throne of David, uh, the, the, the throneship of Israel. So he is called son of David about 20 times in the New Testament. Uh, the other son of title would be, of course, the son of God, which refers to his deity, that Jesus is the son of God and is the God the son. Um, son of God um, appears about 50 times in the New Testament. So son of David about 20, son of God about 50 times. But the third title, including son of, would be what we find here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, and that is son of man. Now, that appears 85 times in the New Testament. So son of David, 20, son of God, 50, son of man, 85 times. And uh, while Jesus referred to himself as the son of David and the son of God, by far, most often, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. In fact, of the about 85 times that Son of Man appears in the New Testament, all but about four or five are self-references. In other words, that Jesus is referring to himself as Son of, of Man. So uh, that's his most usual title for himself. So that ought to prompt the question, what is the significance of the phrase or the title the Son of Man. Um, what is the Lord intending to communicate to us by referring to himself as the Son of Man? Well, you may have heard that some folks suggest that Son of Man is really just a, a vague, somewhat undefined term. But if, if we study the way that the Old Testament uses the phrase the Son of Man, we're going to find out that it says something very important about his identity and his mission. Now, I chose Matthew 8.20 as just the, the launching point for this message because that is the first occurrence of the Son of Man in the New Testament. That's the first time that you will actually uh, find it. But again, his use of the Son of Man teaches us a lot about him. So uh, let's grow in a knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we consider what it means for him to be the Son of Man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to be our Savior. We thank you for him and ask, Lord, that you would just grow in us a, a desire, a, a consuming passion to, to know him better. Paul in Philippians 3 talked about his passion. He said he wanted to know him and the fellowship of his suffering, the power of his resurrection. So, Lord, we, we pray that you would increase our desire to know Christ and to make him known to others. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work this morning in the, in the preaching of the word as we consider uh, this glorious title, the Son of Man. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a vital principle of sound interpretation 
is to study what the Bible teaches about a subject prior to its occurrence in Scripture, assuming that it did. And uh, as I mentioned, the Son of Man, or Son of Man, is a phrase that is found frequently in the Old Testament. In fact, it's found over 100 times. And if you include the plural, the sons of men, um, it occurs about 130 times. Now, we're not going to look at all 130 of those references, but we are going to look at some of them. Um, You don't have to turn to them. Uh, You will be prepared to turn to Daniel 7 toward the end of the message. But uh, we want to go back into the Old Testament and see how the Old Testament uses that title or that designation uh, in in an attempt to help us understand what the Lord Jesus meant by applying it to himself. Well, number one, son of man, uh, we're talking about how it's used in the Old Testament. The first way would be this. Son of man simply refers to mankind um, as a whole or as an individual. So when you find that phrase, son of man in the Old Testament, it can be referring to a man or human being or to humanity collectively. Let me give you a few occurrences of that. In Numbers 23, 19, where it contrasts God with men or human beings, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. And so there, that's that Hebrew parallelism we see so often where man and son and son of man are equal or equivalent. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. So it simply means God is not a man that, uh, that he should lie or that he should repent, uh, meaning, uh, changing his mind or just changing somehow. In Psalm 8, verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Um, uh, proclaiming the greatness of God. God, what is, what is man that you would even think of him? What is the son of man, man that you would that you would come and visit him? Okay, Psalm thirty three thirteen for the plural. The Lord looks from heaven; he sees all the sons of men. So that's just a smattering of of references uh, where son of man simply refers to a human being or collectively to to humanity. Now, is there some connection um, with this Old Testament use of son of man um, and Jesus' use of it for himself? I think that's beyond question. I think that in at least three ways... The Lord Jesus was was using this. Uh, first of all, uh, if you're uh, putting down an outline, uh, the, the point number one was Son of Man simply refers to mankind as a whole or as an individual. So A under that would be the point that Jesus was fully human. Jesus was a true man. So uh, at least in part, he's using this title, Son of Man, to convey the truth that he was truly human. And that's in reference to the incarnation, okay? He is truly human. He's also truly God. In John chapter 1, it begins in verse 1. You, you'll, you'll recognize the verse. You're familiar with it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this is referring to Christ. That's another one of his titles. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you drop down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, and it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So Jesus is God, 
and he became man. He was true God and true man. And so it's absolutely critical for us to, to uphold both of those truths. I think we are so used to having to, uh, to, to defend the doctrine of the deity of Christ that sometimes we forget that he was not only God, but he was also man and he was truly man. He was truly a human being. In fact, in the early years of Christianity, one of the, one of the uh, popular heresies was to deny that he was human. There was actually a group that didn't deny that he was God, but they denied that he was human. Well, that's, that's as much an error as denying his, his, his deity. That is to deny the incarnation. He was truly man. And 1 John 4, 2, uh, the apostle said, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So that was very likely directed at the crowd who was denying that he was truly a man. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in a mystery that we cannot understand, was both God and man. And so I think that in, in, in using Son of Man, he's emphasizing that side of his nature. In his nature, he's God, he's man, and one complete person. Um, John Broadus, who was an early Baptist leader, he was one of the, the found, original founders of Southern Baptist Seminary, he wrote, it was also probably, talking about the title Son of Man, probably designed to render prominent the great fact that he was genuinely and thoroughly a man, a fact which believers in his divinity sometimes fail to appreciate. So he was indeed a man in every respect, a sinless man, perfectly bearing the image of God. Unlike us who have a marred image, we're made in his image as well, but it's a marred image. But Jesus was a man, sinless, perfect man, perfectly bearing the image of God. I think item B, he was also using the Son of Man to uh, indicate that he, to indicate his humility, meekness, and his poverty. Um, sometimes Son of Man is used in the Old Testament in reference to man's weakness and frailty and his lowliness. Um, for example, in Psalm 146.3, it says, Do not put your trust in princes nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. In other words, trust in God. Don't trust in, in, in weak, lowly man. Now, we are to trust in Jesus, the Son of Man. Um, but again, it's used in the Old Testament sometimes to convey uh, lowliness and, and, and weakness. And perhaps our Lord Jesus was using that title to get, to get his meekness and humility across as well. Well, uh, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart." Now, again, the difference would be is where in the Old Testament it uses "Son of Man" to 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 contrast to God that we shouldn't trust in men but God. It still refers to His lowliness and meekness, and Jesus was that in His in His incarnation. Um, his poverty as well. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was God, he owned everything, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And going back to Matthew 8, 20, what it says, The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Uh, he, he didn't own his own home. Uh, as he went about in his, his ministry, um, he, he, he was subject to the hospitality of strangers who would take him in, like uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, and others. 
And then item number C under this idea of the Son of Man in the Old Testament simply referring to a man or mankind, Jesus was man's representative. And using the title, the Son of Man, he is identifying with men because he became their representative or the representative of the elect. Um, Two passages I'll read to you on that point. In Romans 5, 8 through 9, it says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, meaning Adam, our first father, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, Jesus, the act on the cross, by one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many were will be made righteous. Uh, and then we have in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, or all who are in Christ will be made alive. And then verse 45 of that chapter, and so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last man, man or excuse me, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So I believe that one of the things Jesus is doing by using the Son of Man is he's emphasizing that he is man's representative, or specifically the, the representative of the elect. He became our substitute. He became a real human being, the second Adam, in order to be our substitute on the cross. So he suffers and dies for the sins of his people. So look at Christ's humility. He could have used his title, the Son of God, all the time, and would not have been at fault at all, because he is indeed the Son of God. Uh, the, 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 the verse, that, the passage that was read earlier in the service, Philippians chapter 3, says he thought not, uh, it was not robbery to be equal with God. That's because he is indeed God. He wasn't, t- wouldn't be taking something or keeping something for himself that, that it, it was not his. He is God but he humbled himself and became man. And he uses this title, Son of Man. It's like he condescends to us to identify with us and says, I am the Son of Man. So that was point number one, that the Son of Man simply refers to mankind as a whole or as an individual. And so we see those truths that Christ is emphasizing by taking that title to himself. Number two, and really this is part of number one, but I'm going to separate it out because of just the sheer volume of uh, of times that it's used in this context. Number two, Son of Man is how God refers to two of the Old Testament prophets. Son of man is how God refers to two of the Old Testament prophets. So um, I've, I've mentioned to you that son of man appears over 100 times in the Old Testament. And I get this, of that, that almost 100 times, actually a little more than 100 times, 94 of them are in reference to a prophet. 94, actually two prophets. Um, one time to Daniel... In Daniel 8.17, God, or I think, I'm sorry, I think it was God through the angel calls him son of man. So that's in, so one time to Daniel. The other times, the other 93 times are in reference to Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Um, if you've read through Ezekiel, you will be struck how many times God calls him son of man. 
Son of man, write this. Son of man, say this. Son of man, do that. 93 times. So what we have here is the vast majority of times that the phrase son of man appears in the Old Testament, it's in reference to Ezekiel. It's in reference to, to Ezekiel. Remember, Ezekiel was a priest and he was carried away um, into exile to Babylon before the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And so God has him prophesy, a lot of his prophecies regard the fact that the, that God is going to send the Babylonians to Judah and Jerusalem to destroy them for their, their un, unfaithfulness. But he also uh, prophesies their, their restoration. But throughout the book, he calls Ezekiel son of man. First time Ezekiel chapter 2, 2 verse 1. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And then 92 more times in the book of Ezekiel, um, he is referred to as son of man. Um, why does God refer to him as son of man? Well, that's not what this message is about, but I will share with you that the prevalent opinion of those who study it is that God was reminding Ezekiel that though he would he would be blessed by seeing these great visions, and if you'll remember, Ezekiel, um, possibly more than any other prophet, was given a, a lot of visions. Um, so God gives him all these visions, and he would be God's mouthpiece, but it, it may be that he needed to be reminded, though, that he was merely a man. Um, Matthew Henry takes this position. He says, lest Ezekiel should be lifted up with the abundance of the revelations, he is put in mind of this, that he is still a son of man, a mean or lowly, weak, mortal creature. Among other things made known to him, it was necessary he should be made known this, that he was a son of man, and therefore it was a wonderful condescension in God that he was pleased thus to manifest himself to him. Now he is among the living creatures, the angels, Yet he must remember that he himself, that he is himself a man, a dying creature. Now that would be similar to Paul. Do you remember in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul had, uh, had referred to the visions that he had received from God. And he wrote in chapter 12, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So apparently there's a principle there that when God favors a man with these heavenly visions, that he needs to be reminded who he is. In Paul's case, he was given a thorn in the flesh. In Ezekiel's case, he was reminded over and over again, you're a man, you're a son of man. Um, so the vast majority of times the Son of Man is used in the Old Testament, 87%, if you want to be exact, it refers to a prophet. Uh, that might lead us to consider that our Lord Jesus Christ was also conveying to us that he was a prophet. Remember that uh, when he was mistreated in Nazareth, he said a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Um, but Jesus is not just a prophet, he is the prophet. He is the prophet. Um, Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, it's capitalized in the English versions to emphasize uh, the, the importance of it. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. This is Moses talking, from your brethren, him you shall hear. In other words, somebody's coming who's greater than I. A prophet, the prophet, and you will hear him. And the Jews understood that that's what that meant because in John... Um, Chapter 6, verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus said, 
or that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. They were expecting the prophet to come, and they, they, they concluded, or at least wondered, maybe Jesus of Nazareth is that prophet. So it may be, it may be that in using the title Son of Man for him, himself, uh, Jesus was sort of evoking uh, uh, what what Ezekiel was called to to sort of in a in, in a roundabout way get across this truth that he is the prophet, the prophet. Um, maybe that's one of the things that he was doing. Number three, item number three, and this is where we really get down to some more specifics. Son of man, we're looking at Old Testament uses of it, son of man is a reference to the Messiah. Son of man is a reference to the Messiah. Um, The vast majority refer to men or a man, and of those, the vast majority uh, refer to Ezekiel. But we have two occurrences at least that are obvious, two occurrences where where son of man refers to the Messiah. Uh, the first one, we won't look at it in depth, but Psalm 80, verse 17. Now, this is a, this is a psalm. Um, it was written by Asaph, and it, it describes God's anger against Israel, uh, how he sent destruction upon them, but how in the end he would save his people. And Psalm 80, verse 17 says, Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, your right hand, upon the Son of Man whom you made strong for yourself. And it's a salvation psalm. And so it seems that that is a messianic prophecy. Spurgeon took it that way. He says, there is no doubt here an outlook to the Messiah for whom believing Jews had learned to look as the Savior in time of trouble. So Psalm 80 verse 17 um, appears to be a reference to the Messiah when it used the Son of Man. Son of Man. But what I want to focus on is something that is very clearly attested by the New Testament to be a reference to the Messiah, and that is in Daniel chapter 7. So turn to Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 through 14. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. And the books were opened. Sounds like Revelation, doesn't it? I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, the beast or the Antichrist. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him, 
the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So Daniel sees one like the Son of Man who comes and is given given the, the rule of everything, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now that is an obvious reference to uh, the Messiah. And there it's not necessarily used as a title so much as a comparison. The Messiah is like the Son of Man or a Son of Man. So again, you have this reference to his incarnation, that he is God, but he became flesh. He becomes uh, he becomes a man. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't think there is any question whatsoever, and I'm going to ho- hopefully demonstrate that by a couple cross-references from the Gospels, I don't think there is any question whatsoever that our Lord Jesus Christ reached back into Daniel and chose to use that term in reference to himself, in addition to these other things that we, are, we have looked at that are, that are indicated by being son of man. So again, our Lord Jesus Christ, about 80 times in Scripture, again, the Son of Man appears 85 times, and all but four or five, it's Jesus calling himself the Son of Man. So uh, going back to what I said earlier, that some have theorized that Son of Man was, uh, was just some vague term that Jesus used of himself, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case. Uh, usually in a, uh, what, what those who take that interpretation will say is that Jesus wanted to avoid the common misperceptions of what, who the Messiah would be, the common misperceptions of the day. Well, but if Son of Man is recognized as a Messianic term, and it, and it is, then there is still a reference there, uh, a self-reference to his messiahship. The Jews recognized the title Son of Man as referring to the Messiah. In John 12, 34, the people answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever, and how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up or, or die? Who is this Son of Man? That's not the Son of Man we recognize Well, of course, if they had read Isaiah 53, they would know that Messiah was supposed to die or if they had understood it. But um, So in Daniel, you have a description of the Messiah as the Son of Man or a Son of Man, and Jesus takes it and uses it for himself more than any other title. Again, quoting John Broadus, he wrote, This remarkable expression was no doubt founded on Daniel 7.13, a passage which the Jewish writers agree in referring to the Messiah. The so-called Book of Enoch frequently speaks of the coming of Messiah as the Son of Man. We learn from John 12.34, I just quoted that one, that the Jews understood this phrase to mean Messiah. Our Lord's frequent use of the phrase, constitutes an oft-repeated claim to be the Messiah. There's a clear reference to it. Um, Some scholars make much of the context of of Jesus' using that title, and they tend to group it into three different categories, just very briefly. Number one, he used it in the context of his authority. Uh, For example, example, Matthew chapter 6, verse... uh, excuse me, Matthew 9, verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins or authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. You remember he was, <clears throat> he was healed. So the, the authority of the Son of Man to forgive sins. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So he claims authority over the Sabbath day. So you see those are in the context of his uh, authority. So when Jesus uses the title Son of Man, it's not meant to indicate that he was only a man, but that he is God incarnate. He is true God and true man, and he has the authority. He has authority. The other category would be his suffering. In Luke 24, 7, he said, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. So he, he often used the title Son of Man in those passages where he was uh, teaching about his, his suffering and his death. Again, he becomes a man, God becomes a man, the second person of the Trinity becomes a man uh, so that he can identify with us and be our substitute on the cross. We talk about the substitutionary atonement. So Son of God, Son of Man becomes our substitute on the cross. But talking about three general categories, the context of the use of, of Jesus' use of the Son of Man, number three, most of the references are are are, are they, they pertain to his second coming, to his return. And I'm going to read you two verses that uh, very clearly refer back to the Daniel passage that we read. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and He will reward each according to His works. Mark 13, 26, Then will they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Remember what Daniel said, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. This is a clear reference back to Daniel. And so when Jesus spoke these words, that you're going to see me coming in the clouds with great power and glory, there would be no mistaking the connection to Daniel chapter 7. Jesus says, I'm here, I've, I've come, I'm in the midst of my first coming, but I am coming again. And when I come back the second time, I am coming in great power and glory in, in the clouds. He will come back as King of kings and Lord of lords in glory to possess all things and to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords and complete redemption for His people and to bring everlasting punishment on those who have refused to repent and to bow before Him as Lord and Savior. Now, it should not be surprising that the last two references in Scripture to Son of Man, keeping it in the context of His return, would appear in Revelation. So finally, I'd like to ask you to turn to chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Revelation. There are two passages in Revelation in which we find the Son of Man and the first one in chapter 1 is a self-reference. Jesus himself refers to himself again as the Son of Man. Let's look at verses 10 through 13. Okay, so Christ appears to, to John the Apostle. We know that this is Jesus. 
And so beginning in verse 10, John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Now, God uses those titles for himself in Isaiah. Keep that in mind. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man." Excuse me, that's not a self-reference, but he he refers to him as the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool and as white as snow, and his eyes as a flame of fire. And you go down to verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So you know that's referring to Christ. So John, who most often referred to him as the Son of God in this passage, refers to him as the Son of Man. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. He's God. But he's the Son of Man, referring to his, his incarnation. And then you don't have to turn there, but the last reference is Revelation 14, 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And he reaps the earth and harvests his people. Son of Man. So mostly... Um, they are, they are, uh, or the plurality of them seem to be in reference to his return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now we don't have to turn back there, but the passage that was read earlier in Philippians chapter two, referring to the fact that Jesus is God and he humbled himself and became a man and he goes to the cross and he dies in the place of his people, bearing their sins that they might be forgiven and redeemed and made children of God. And then it says that 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 okay, he so he he was humbled, he, he humbled himself to become a man, to become a servant, to die on the cross. And then it says, Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. And that passage ends by saying that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord, is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Just about everything we've looked at, the truths that are indicated to us from the Son of Man are encapsulated in that passage from Philippians chapter 2. That He is God and He is man who died for His people, who was ascended to His right hand. Remember from uh, Psalm 80 verse 12, the Son of Man of your right hand. And He will return one day. And every knee will bow and confess that He's Lord. Every tongue will confess that He's Lord. What that means is unbelievers, even unbelievers, are going to be driven to their knees in acknowledgement that this Christ that I rejected in life is indeed Lord. But it'll be too late then. It'll be too late for unbelievers who rejected Him in this life. We must come to Him now. Now, repenting and acknowledging Him as Son of God, Son of Man, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and the only Savior. 
that only his blood can cleanse us from, from sin. Only his work, not any work that we can do. We're not saved by works. We can't be saved by works. Isaiah said all of our righteousnesses, the things we think are good about us, are, are as filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. But if we come to Christ, trusting in him alone and his work on the cross and his resurrection, the Bible says we will be forgiven and saved. And therefore, we will welcome his return. We'll look forward to his return when he comes back for his people and dwells among us. And the Bible says we will reign with him. We'll be in glory and joy forever. Come to Christ today. Come to Christ today. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we just we rejoice to learn more about him, and we thank you for this title, the Son of Man, that indicates the truth of the incarnation, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that God condescended to become a man and enter into his creation and walk with human beings, to converse with them, to live with them, to be a poor man who had nowhere to lay his own head, who was at the mercy of of the hospitality of others, who emptied himself, and who went to the cross in the place of his people to bear their sins that they might be forgiven and made children of God. We thank you, Lord. And Lord, help us to remember that He is coming again. One day, every eye will see Him, the Son of Man, coming back in the clouds in great power and glory. Until that time, Lord, give us the grace to live in a way that is pleasing to You and brings glory to You. Help us to be more like our brother, our elder brother Christ, the Son of Man. We might be pleasing to You, Lord, all the while trusting in His righteousness and His work for our acceptance with you. Thank you, Lord. And we pray these prayers in the name of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Amen.